Hey everyone, I'm Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. Welcome to the Health Hacked Podcast. So what have you been doing for a workout these days? I've actually started following a, a program for the first time and since being at a CrossFit gym, I've been kind of out on my own in my garage for the past year and a half, two years. But I started doing um, programming from a guy called uh, named Marcus Philly. He's a former CrossFit Games athlete, but he does a lot of unique stuff. Like you wouldn't even think it would be CrossFit. He pulls a lot of things from. Um, it's like I guess it's like lifestyle stuff. So the goal is you know look good, feel good into your like 60s, 70s, and 80s. It's like stuff that you do now that kind of prevents injury down the road, and just it's for overall longevity. Um, he calls it like functional bodybuilding, but he pulls a lot of stuff from, um, like knees over toes guy. So like those mm. types of like kind of weird movements. And I've actually been having ironically like knee pain and I've never had knee issues like uh, in my okay. entire life. And like six months ago, it never, it, it has not gotten to a point where it's ever bad, but I always felt something in my right knee every time I squat and like an idiot, I, I don't know how to squat properly. I've I've always been told, um, and I've never done research myself until recently that like, keep your knees behind your toes when you squat. So like literally at all costs, I've always done that. Like Mm. no matter what, just keep your knees behind your toes. And I think that's caused a lot of issues that are kind of starting to build up and show because that's not necessarily true. You, you can go past your toes. Yeah, you should. You actually put like if you you build up the right muscles in your calves, your tibialis, your quads, mm-hmm. your um, glutes, like you're actually protecting your knees that way. Like you actually put more yeah. strain in your knees if you try to keep your knees behind your toes. Right, right. So um, I've been doing a lot of that type of training. It's a lot of weird squats and lunges and um, like being on these like vertical boxes with your like toes up and it's 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 interesting stuff that i've never done before it's not really things you do in a crossfit gym but i mean i've I've been doing this for three weeks now and the knee pain is is gone at this point now it could be in my head maybe it's just not flaring up right now but it really does feel much better so um, i've really been enjoying following a program because i can just go out into the garage and just like here's what you're doing um it's been awesome that's good no i mean it really matters like what you choose to to strengthen um i've been doing the knees over toes guys for about six weeks now and i'll talk about yeah, it because you've later. had you have yeah. knee pro like severe i mean not yeah severe, but you no, had i mean i've had significant knee, problems. knee pain yeah for like a year and a half and it hasn't gone away yeah. no matter what i've tried and uh yeah i've been doing the knees over toes guys it's starting to feel better I, what i notice is when i do his program and i cut back on the crossfit and they feel better when i start introducing yeah. a crossfit like it just hurts like my i'm not yeah. ready yet so i'm yeah. backing down on the crossfit um and we're going to actually talk about some some things um around this the whole point of the episode is talking about muscle hypertrophy but before we get into that um just want to pitch an event that aaron and i are speaking at on September 11th in Noblesville, Indiana. Yep. I don't know where it's at, but if you go to our link <laughs> in our Instagram bio um, or health act, well, yeah, that's the only way to get to the registration, right? LinkedIn, our, we put a post uh, out yeah. on it. So we will be, we're teaming up with a few other ladies in the fitness industry. They're going to be giving a present. It's a two hour event. Um, they're going to be doing some presentations. We're going to be doing a presentation on how to evaluate 
health information, whether you get that from social media, from news sources, from research, basically how we develop health hacked. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's like, like a yeah, how if to. you like, yeah, if you get your news from social media or headline, it's like, how do you see this post, see this headline and real and figure out, okay, is this legit or not? Or are they just, is it just like clickbait? Like, how do, how do you figure out what's the steps to taking to figure out if this, if this is legit information or not? Yeah, so it should be pretty fun. And then there's like a little networking get together afterwards. So go check it out. Link in our bio. Um, we'd love to see some of you there. All right, let's get on to muscle growth or muscle hypertrophy. So yeah. there was a really interesting study um, that was done this past week that I thought was worth doing a full episode on it because it had so many you know good nuggets in it. Um, and the, the name of the study is uh, hold on. I had a oh, resistance training recommendations to maximize muscle hypertrophy in an athletic population. So it was put together by several PhDs and experts on muscle hypertrophy, muscle growth. And, um, it was really, really interesting. It was published in the international journal of strength and conditioning. And they basically looked at different variables in resistance training and how these different things impact our, uh, muscle hypertrophy. So, what, Aaron, why don't you give us a rundown for those that don't know what muscle hypertrophy is? Yeah, it sounds like a, a really technical term, but it literally just means muscle growth. Like that's that's essentially what it means. Like hyper is excess and tripo, tri, tripophy? <laughs> tripophy means um, nourishment. Um, it's the opposite of atrophy. So you know, like muscle atrophy, this is muchal muscle hyper, hyper wow, I can't, I can't talk at all. Hypertrophy. Hypertrophy. <laughs> I'm making this sound really complicated. It's muscle growth. That's all it means. Yeah. Um, and this is different than strength training. So this is not the same as, as building muscle strength. Like strength training is training with specific intent to improve your strength. Um, hypertrophy training is the intent to increase muscle size or to gain like additional muscle mass. So like people who are doing like bodybuilding, they don't really care much about um, like people who are doing, the, are, are doing these like competitions they don't care much about strength. Like they're not looking for these one rep maxes or anything. They're simply looking for muscle growth, muscle gains for, for appearances in their sake. So that's what muscle hypertrophy is. It's, it's muscle growth. Um, Although they did in this study, they did talk about how hypertrophy, you know, this muscle growth, muscle mass has not always thought to equate to muscle strength. And they kind of talked about that in the study. We won't go through it here, but they did talk about how there's actually some some back and forth on that on on how like just because you're building muscle just because your muscles are getting bigger doesn't mean they're not getting stronger, and vice versa. Just because you're not getting bigger doesn't mean you're not getting stronger. Mm, um, yeah. So there's some you know some back and forth there, but but yeah, and, and and when we say hypertrophy here, we're talking about muscle growth. And I think they they are kind of also talking about strength here because they're talking about athletes where, yes, they want to grow their muscles, but also want to grow strength. So a little bit of both. Anything else there? Um, no, I, I mean, we're going to get into the details here, but just like high level on on the difference of like training. Like you've probably heard this before when you're when you're doing like strength training, typically people train at like lower volumes or, or lower reps and they'll do high high weights, low reps and take long rests in between. So you'll see like people at the gym like do like one bench press and then walk around for like 10 minutes and then do another bench press and walk around for 10 minutes. It's like, um, I don't know how much, like how healthy that is for you, but like it, it's making you stronger. Like that's strength training. You, you do heavy reps, um, low sets and take long rest where hypertrophy training, 
Now there is some carryover, but in general, hypertrophy training is going to be the opposite of that. So you are going to do higher volume, um, a little bit lower loads, and the rest will be shorter duration than you would if you're looking to build strength. But let's get into, I guess, those different variables with training, uh, with muscle hypertrophy training. I think they go through, what, six different variables here, Um, Mm -hmm. load, volume, frequency, rest, uh, exercise selection, and uh, setting an endpoint. So those are the kind of six variables around muscle hypertrophy training. Um, So do we just want to like run through these, go back and forth on them? Yeah. So these are, um, yeah, like Aaron said, different variables in resistance training. So let's start with load. When they say load, like what is loading? Um, as you might think, that is the amount or magnitude of resistance or weight you know used during a training session. So this is basically how heavy the weight is. So in lifting and in CrossFit, this is typically people typically measure this in terms of your one rep max. So if your one rep max on a deadlift is 300 pounds, you might do a series of, of reps, several reps at uh, you know 40, 50 percent of one year one rep max. It's just an easy way to measure resistance for you personally. So what they looked at is what is the uh, what is an optimal loading strategy for muscle hypertrophy? And there is conflicting evidence on this in kind of each of these. Like there there is not one clear-cut point, but what they the whole goal of this was to look at all the evidence available out there today and and how can we optimize muscle hypertrophy. So so some people, you know, prefer to use heavier weights and less reps because they don't think they get the the strength of the muscle growth with lighter reps. And, um, you know, they found that this could potentially be due to people not doing enough reps with a lighter load um, to achieve the same uh, muscle synthesis. Basically, you know, they they found they, they were looking at different studies and found that if a lighter load is met with the same level of intensity as heavier loads, then you actually can get similar results. So you don't necessarily have to use heavier loads if you're if you're using a lighter load and you're doing enough reps to get to the same intensity as a heavier load then it may be equivalent there was actually a famous football player i cannot remember his name because i don't really follow football who he didn't do any weights he only did body weights and you know he was doing hundreds of squats and things like that and push-ups but uh i mean he was a he was a bulky guy and strong so uh you can you can't get there you just have to optimize the uh the reps which we'll get to later on They pulled up a 2017 meta-analysis that basically found no difference between high-load training, which was described as greater than 60% of your one-rep max, and low-load training, less than 60% of the one-rep max. They didn't find any difference. And obviously, the high-load training are doing less reps. Low-load training is doing more reps. Um, They didn't find any difference in terms of uh, muscle synthesis. Basically, in the end, what they concluded here is that there is no one best way to load individuals can achieve comparable muscle hypertrophy across a wide spectrum of loading zones. Um, As of right now, there doesn't seem to be huge evidence for high load over low load or high weight over low weight. However, they did say that preliminary evidence suggests a benefit to employing a combination of loading strategies. So rather than always doing a heavy load or always doing a low load, mix it up. This is this is one of the things I really like about CrossFit, at least in my gym, you know, the strength portion isn't always the same. The load and the rep scheme changes all the time. Uh, they also said that there may be a practical benefit to using moderate loads for the majority of your training because, you know, when you use a low load, you have to do a lot more reps. That's just time consuming. So when you are doing a lower load, you're not doing a heavy lift. You could 
up the weight a little bit, do a moderate load, and then you can back off the reps a little bit just to save you some time. So overall, in terms of loading strategies, mix it up. There isn't one clear solution. Mix up training into heavy loads and more light to moderate loads for um, optimal muscle hypertrophy. So loading or weight, that was one that they looked at. And then kind of one thing I touched on is, is volume. So what did they find there? Yeah, volume is basically another kind of another word for for reps it's just how how much work you are physically doing so it can be i guess it can be either sets so the number of sets that you do of a specific exercise or it can be the number of repetitions that you do of that exercise and, and reps make up a set so like a common rep scheme or like volume scheme is like a five by five so you do like five squats <clears throat> you do five sets of squ- five reps five times like mm-hmm. five sets of five is what is what that would be a five by five that's a kind of a common scheme of, of reps you would do or, or volume um in terms of like in, in the literature when they refer to volume it's usually referring to sets specifically it's not really referring to repetitions so it's, it's typically referring to sets <clears throat> and the the reps as kind of a range when when they do reference sets like those sets typically are configured of reps anywhere that range from like six to twenty so it can be pretty pretty broad, and it, and it changes obviously depending on your load. If you're doing a heavier load, that's going to be near the six range, or if you're doing a, a very light load or body weight, it's going to be near the twenty um, rep range per set. But um, in general, what they found here is that doing basically ten sets per muscle per week is kind of a general, I guess, rule of thumb for hypertrophy training um and that's a 10 sets per muscle per week um that can be split up like you don't want to do that necessarily all in one day um like a a common uh, theme or schematic would be to do that like split it up into twice a week um but 10 times 10 sets and there has shown some benefit to increasing this volume over a period of time so not just sticking with that set 10 sets consistently but over a period of time increase that so maybe one week you're doing you know 10 sets and the next week you increase a little bit to maybe 11 sets um and then maybe back off back to 10 sets you can you can you know periodize your training and switch it up over time um one thing they recommend against doing is to doing massive fluctuations in that volume so you don't want to do they recommend against doing um like a 20 percent change basically in that volume. So you wouldn't want to do, you know, 10 sets on one muscle group one week and then increase it to like 20 sets the next week. Um, that is too much variation is what they found. So keeping that within a 20% uh, variation. So like you said, Andy, you can switch it up. There has been benefits to switching this up over time, going back and forth, increasing volume, decreasing volume. But in general, kind of the rule of thumb, 10 sets, um, per muscle per week. Yeah. And when we get into frequency, actually the next one, uh, which is very similar to volume frequency is the number of times that you work a given muscle on a weekly basis. So kind of related to volume, but a little bit different. And there's been a lot of debate on this as well. Like how many times a week should you work a muscle group? Like how many times a week should I do squats or, or a bench press? <clears throat> and they found, um, they, they, they looked at a study that found there was no difference between somebody who did, you know, 10 sets of 10 reps once per week and 
two sets of two sets of 10 five times per week. So it's the same volume. It's just split up into um, five days per week. Like all in this scenario, the study that was done, all the reps were done at one time during the week. And then in the other group, it was spread out five times per week. And there was no measure. There's no difference in terms of muscle growth, which they measured by something called deuterium oxide, which they use um, to measure kind of muscle growth, muscle synthesis. And another meta-analysis that they looked at found a similar thing, that there was no difference in splitting up volume between one, two, three, or four plus days per week. So like whatever reps you're doing, like whatever goal your rep is, um, whether you split that up into one day or, or three or four days per week, they didn't seem to find a huge difference. Now, in the end, they, they basically concluded that frequency alone doesn't seem to have a huge impact on hypertrophy. Now, of course, volume is going to matter. Loading is going to matter. But like frequency, whether you're doing those things twice a week or once per week, as long as you're, you're doing basically this, like, the same effort, you know, whether that's spread across multiple days, isn't a huge factor. So they said, um, basically what you were saying, significant hypertrophy can be achieved when training a muscle group as infrequently as once per week in low to moderate volume protocols, which they de defined as 10 or less sets per muscle per week. Um, once you get to, they found once you get to 10 sets uh, of a muscle, like it gets to a point where protein synthesis um, is, is maxed out and, and those additional sets aren't really doing anything. Now they did say that if you are performing higher volume programs, then um, it actually may be better to, to spread them out. So, Again, a general recommendation would be to cap per session volume at 10 sets per muscle um, and then, you know, spread that out as you want to increase your reps. So, like, let's say your goal is, uh, let's say you want to do, like, 500 push-ups a week. You know, instead of doing 10 sets of 50 in a day, you know, maybe consider doing five sets of 50 two days per week or something like that. You know, they said it gets to a point where you need to split it up into to multiple days if you're doing a lot of, like, high volume. And they did say here that further research is needed to provide a more objective evidence on this topic. There, there haven't been a ton of trials on this, ton of large trials on this. But basically, the takeaway here is that frequency alone is not a huge factor in uh, muscle hypertrophy. So kind of going off that, I mean, let's say you are working out like frequently, you're you're exhausted, you're, you're outside, it's hot, you're tired, you're sweating a lot, and you know, you're thirsty, you, you feel weak arms are heavy. What do you do? Like, how, how do you, I guess, like replenish that and get back to start working out again? Um, you know, without just putting a bunch of crap in your body. Yeah. I mean, the best way to do that really is through, um, the most effective electrolyte drink on the planet. And that's element. Um, if when you're doing, you know, these big sets, you're trying to get stronger, you can't do much without proper hydration and hydration is more than just water. You know, it's electrolytes and your muscles can't do what they need to do if they don't have proper electrolytes. So you could be doing the perfect, uh, you know, you have the perfect program built that factors in all these things. But if you don't have electrolytes, forget about it. Go to drinklmnt.com slash health act. Finally switched over our um, our handle, not handle, URL the, to yeah. health act, not lab rats. Remember, that's health act without an E in the hacked. Um, maybe one day we can afford to add the E, but at this point, I don't know. It's <laughs> our branding is without the E. So 
drinklmt.com slash Halifax. You can go get a sample pack. It's like five bucks for shipping and you can see how you like it. So go check it out. All right, the next part here after frequency is is rest. So this refers to either the period of rest between sets of the same exercise or between or the rest between, you know, two different exercises. And I'll keep this pretty short and sweet. Um, the what they found in this study, most recommendations around this for hypertrophy oriented training are like we mentioned at the beginning is pretty short rest between sets. Um, in general, 30, 30 to 90 second rest between sets, whether that's between one exercise or between two different exercises, 30 to 90 seconds. Um, and they kind of split it out between whether it's a movement of multi joint exercises or a single joint exercise or machine exercise. So like think of when you're on I don't even know any of any machine like a, like a I mean a, bice, a bicep curl that's a single yeah. joint exercise or a right. um, leg uh, leg extension like those machines where you sit down you mm -hmm. extend your yep. that is a single joint exercise where a squat is multi joint and it involves bending your knee hip ankle you're using multiple joints so that's yeah. kind of how even they, something they yeah yeah even something like a, a snatch would be even more so like oh, you're right. working almost every single thing in the body um, but yeah so. If you're doing these a multi-joint exercise like a snatch or like a clean and jerk, um, the rest for that is recommended to be a little bit longer. So about two minutes for a multi-joint exercise. Now, this depends. It, it doesn't always have to be at that two-minute mark, but just longer than it would be for a single-joint exercise. So like a leg press, like a bicep curl. For those, it's a, a shorter rest period of like 60 to 90 seconds. So... Yeah, and I think if you're doing more heavy, I mean, it may even make sense to do longer than a two-minute rest, um, like two and a half to three minutes. That's generally what we do at our gym when we're doing um, heavier heavier loads. You just want to make mm -hmm. sure that your your muscle has time because it can um, give out. If you don't give it enough time to, to rest, um, yeah. you could uh, get yourself injured. So, Yeah, especially if you're doing like a one rep max, which we'll actually get to talking about a one rep max here in a minute. Um but yeah, sometimes longer than two minutes is necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, so what about, let's see, the next one is exercise selection. Yeah, so again, they're looking at what types of exercises are going to maximize muscle hypertrophy. They say there, there are really kind of four things that impact, um, or four, four things that have to do with exercise selection. Modality, so are you using free weights, are you using machines, pulleys, bands, etc. That's the modality. Um, and then, you know, number of working joints, single versus multi, which we just talked about planes of movement. Are you moving in one, one direction or, um, one plane, or are you switching that up and then angles of pull? Like, are you just pulling up and down? Or are you pulling at a 45 degree angle? So there's so many different ways that we can, um, develop an exercise program. And what they looked at was like, really what types of exercises should we be doing for muscle hypertrophy? And, you know, really uh, muscles are complex. There, there are a lot of interconnected fibers, some long, some short, and, and a lot of them are activated in different movements. They talk about this in the study, which I recommend reading. It's very interesting. And, and they did indicate the trials in this area are somewhat limited, but the consensus is that the consensus is that varying exercises really enhances the development of a given muscle. So they did one experiment where they had subjects do a squat machine along with leg presses, lunges, deadlifts, then they had another group just do 
just the squat machine. And they found that the quads were more developed the more in the group that did the more varied exercises. You really get more a more complete muscle development when you work muscles in different ways. So rather than just working one part of the muscle, you are working the muscle from beginning to end when you switch up how you're doing how you're doing how you're doing the training. They actually found a similar thing with triceps. Um, they found that bench press was actually more effective at increasing the muscle size of the, the, the tricep than just like tricep dips. And they actually found that a combo of the two was, was the best for muscle hypertrophy. And this is one, one thing I like about CrossFit. You're always mixing up movements. Um, and it's mostly multi-joint, you know, you're not just standing in one spot, working one muscle. Usually you're engaging multiple muscles through, through various modalities, but you know, not all gyms and not, um, everyone doing CrossFit hits on everything all the time, which I'll get to in a little bit. And they had some other interesting points in here and, and how, you know, planes of movement matter and angles of pull. But what they concluded was that hypertrophy oriented, um, resistance training programs should include a variety of exercises that work muscles in different planes and angles of pull to ensure complete stimulation of the musculature. So you don't want to just be doing like, um, like if you are doing cables, for instance, I don't do these, but like, and you're just pulling up and down 90 degrees, like that's probably not working the full muscle. You're working one very specific part of the muscle, or if you switch it up, um, or you do free weights, like you're working the other, this, you know, smaller parts of the muscle, the, um, the, those supporting muscles. And like, that's really important, I think for longevity and which is why they say programming should employ a combination of multi and single joint exercises to maximize whole muscle development. Um, so, you know, where applicable focus on employing exercises that work, you know, work the full muscle. So something that going off of that, that I've kind of with the programming I've been doing that has come to light for me is that even in CrossFit. So we do a lot of things where it's, it's all free weight. It's not, we're not using machines, but even then, like you still have an even load and even load across, you know, your body. So like, let's take a clean, for example, or let's take a deadlift. It's just simple. You're just picking up a barbell off the ground, standing up. You have that even load all the way across your body. And it's in both hands, the, the exact same amount of weight. You pick it up. Um, like, yes, you are using more stabilization muscles than you would if you were doing like a deadlift on a machine, mm-hmm. but there's still benefit to doing like things like this is what the program programming I've been doing is like doing like deadlifts. Uh, like today I did single leg dumbbell Romanian deadlifts. So mm-hmm. you're literally standing on one foot, picking up two dumbbells and going into this deadlift position, kicking your one leg back and it's still a deadlift, but it causes like, it's a complete different turn on the exercise where you, you're using instead of just like you're using all these stabilization muscles in your ankle in your knee, in your still in your hamstring and glute as well, but it puts a whole different you know perspective on the exercise. So like, there's some weird stuff out there. If you look at some like, mm-hmm. I guess stabilization exercises to where, like, I guess you just miss out a lot of that in your typical CrossFit exercises. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just just thought I'd mention that because that's something I was like literally doing today, and I'm like, this is like stuff I've never done before. And it's hard because it like requires a lot of stabilization. Yeah. No, um, I think that's missed in most, uh, most programs The the stabilization, yeah. which is why I started doing the, uh, knees over toes, which I, I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. but to your point, yeah. One of their conclusions was free weight exercises with complex movement patterns should be performed regularly to reinforce yeah. motor skills. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of people, you know, don't, don't do that. Um, not, not saying that you should never do less complex exercises, but like you need to be working in those more complex movements that require stabilization. I think that's why part of the reason I've busted my ankle so many times is like, Mm -hmm. I don't have those stabilizing muscles. And it, and it, they also say here kind of to go back to the CrossFit thing is that, you know, the optimal program is not just a selection of, of random diverse exercises. It should be cohesive, a cohesive integrated strategy designed to target the entire musculature. And maybe this is where CrossFit could use some work. And I'm not a CrossFit coach. I am not level one certified. So I don't know the, the programs that coaches are, I know coaches are developing some sort of program there's a there's a method to it they're not just throwing stuff together I, it depends on the gym some gyms they're just throwing crap together um i know the the coach at my gym like he's very intentional about the strength program so it kind of just depends on on who you get but like if you're just doing crossfit wads just you just pick a random wad every day um that you're not working the entire muscle like you're probably mm-hmm. going to start missing out on things and i think that's what happened with me you know a year and a half ago when i started I started going to the CrossFit gym, was feeling good, and then COVID happened, and I was just doing my own thing, and like my knee started to like really give me problems. But I'd go out there and do it anyway, and I just I started making up my own stuff, and I think I really weakened my my glutes. Yeah, because that that is I've talked to multiple people that said that is the reason you're having knee problems is like you have weak glutes and weak ankles, and so all this pressure is being put on your knee, and it's because I wasn't working those, and I, I'm not working the tibialis, which is also a huge muscle that supports the knee. Um, so I developed these weak hips and ankles cause I was not focusing on, it wasn't an integrated strategy. It was just me going out there and doing whatever I felt like, um, which was good, you know, for cardio, but just not good for maintaining quality muscles, strong muscles all throughout my body, which is why I started doing the knees over toes guy program. And I really love cause he, um, recommended by one of our listeners actually. So thank you, uh, for, for recommending that. He starts from the bottom up, from your ankle flexibility, from your calves, your tibialis, your glutes, your hamstrings. Like he goes all around from the bottom up, starting with just your body weight and slowly improve strength in all of these areas rather than just focusing on on one. So, I yeah, I think there's something something to this. And it's uh, something that like no matter what you're doing, like, you, you know, you should look at your exercise selection and, and making sure that you're switching it up. Um, switching up the modalities. You're not, you're not just doing single, you're doing single and multi-joint exercises. You're switching the planes of movement. You're doing different angles of pull. You're working on stability. Um, I thought this one was, was super interesting and a, a really good reminder for me, something that I've personally exper- experienced. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think this is an area which, like I mentioned, I've been doing my own thing for a year and a half and I've just started doing programming and I've realized the benefits of it. I think it's a worth your investment to follow something like if you're somebody who just goes to a gym and just maybe runs on the treadmill or just does push-ups and pull-ups here and there i think it really is beneficial to follow like a, a prescription somebody who knows what they're talking about and who are, are going to work all those muscles from head to toe um particularly as you age to to make sure you're working mm-hmm. the stabilization muscle muscles as you age because that's really one of the, the biggest issues um, is stability once you get into your elderly years. So yeah, making sure yeah. somebody who knows what they're talking about is giving you a, a good prescription. Um, the last thing here is called endpoint, which is basically like your one rep max essentially. So there, there's kind of they have two different things here. There's something called a set endpoint, and then there's something called a one rep max. So the set endpoint is basically when you reach to the point to where 
you can't complete the current portion of that movement. So I'm in the middle of a squat and I physically can't get to the top of that squat. That is my end point. Um, then there is a one rep max where it's like, I did, I did my squat, but I know if I did another one, I couldn't complete it. So that's your one rep max. Those are, those are two different things. Um, so the set endpoint is also called like basically failure training, like training to failure, doing squats till you physically can't do another squat. There has been, this is kind of controversial and there's not really a set, there's not a set like decision here. People take both routes. So some bodybuilders do add failure training into their workout routines and they'll, they'll do certain movements. Like, I mean, let's just take like bicep curls because that's something easy. Like they'll do bicep curls until they physically can't do another bicep curl. Uh, but then other kind of l other literature goes against that and says that there's no benefit. There's no added benefit to going to failure. Just do your 10 sets or whatnot. And that is sufficient. So it, it goes back and forth here. There's no, there's, it hasn't been officially like resolved on whether it's good to go to failure or not. Um, kind of where they end with this is they split it out between new, new lifters and highly trained lifters. So they say for, if you are a novice, if you're just starting out and you don't know movements very well, then it's probably best to avoid training close to failure. You do want to focus on your form and make sure you're getting that right. Like that's first and foremost, you don't want to be doing a movement to failure, especially if you don't, uh, are uh, incorporating the correct techniques, you're going to hurt yourself. So they say for novice lifters, do not go close to failure. Um, be, just play it safe. They say for uh, highly trained lifters, though, there could be some benefits by going to failure occasionally. It's not something you'd want to do very often, but occasionally taking certain movements to failure is, they, they say it's, it, it could provide benefit. Um, and then they also mention like older athletes in here, um, and they kind of fall in the bucket of novice lifters to where maybe sometimes, but very, very sparingly, like as you age, there's not much of a reason to go to do those one rep maxes, one rep maxes and to go to failure, um, at that age, there just doesn't seem to be like the, uh, the, what am I trying to say? The effort's not worth the return or the, the, mm -hmm. uh, you the know, risk, the risk is that yeah. worth he exactly return. yeah exactly um there, there's too much risk in in hurting yourself once you get into your older years so that's something you'd want to do very very sparingly so kind of a mixed bag here literature has shown it both ways whether you should work to failure or not um but basically if you are highly trained if you know what you're doing you know you have correct form then maybe give it a shot and and do it um occasionally yeah so we touched on a lot of things here. Um, let's just recap loading method, volume, frequency, rest, exercise selection, and an endpoint. And I really recommend going to read the, the study. Um, like these are just some of the big takeaways. They, these do not apply to everyone. So you read the whole paper, you'll find out how they got some to the, these conclusions. And, and some of them are very nuanced. Like we said, like there's a lot of debate, a lot of back and forth for, um, for some of these. So Definitely recommend reading the paper. It's like 20 pages, um, really in interesting read. One of the authors actually um, posted on Instagram because the the summary page had been getting shared around on, on social media. He said, this is, this is not intended to provide 
This is intended to provide general recommendations, not individual prescriptions. Um, there will always be high inter-individual variability in, the res in response to training. Thus, the position stand should be considered a guideline for program design. Mm -hmm. um, you need to customize these guidelines to your own needs, abilities, and goals to optimize results. Ultimately, or ultimately everyone is an ongoing N, N equals one experiment. So these are things to try. Um, uh, I think I think that's kind of a good place to leave it. Um, experiment with some of these concepts, but know that we're all different and general guidelines won't always apply perfectly to everyone. But hopefully this gave you some things to uh, think about and experiment with. But definitely recommend reading the paper. It was very interesting. I'll put it in the show notes, so go check it out. And yeah, thanks for listening along. Remember, we have our event on, event on 9-11. Um, love to see you there.